I absolutely love singing before getting into the Word. It just, it just does, it's almost unexplainable how it just centers us, puts us in the right perspective, and just orients us towards uh, God. So it's always, always, always a joy to be able to uh, sing with fellow believers. Well, hey, uh, again, uh, my name is Jason, and I am so excited to be able to continue our series that we just began in the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts, it's, a, it's the second part to a joint manuscript written by Luke. Um, so in, in our Bibles, we have Luke and Acts. They're separated, but they're a joint manuscript called Luke-Acts. And so you have the start of Jesus' ministry, and then you have the Acts, so the things that follow uh, through the apostles and through the Holy Spirit. Uh, so what we're going to be looking at is uh, chapter 2 this morning and continuing this series as we see one of the most powerful passages in all of Scripture. It's also a very misunderstood passage in Scripture, so I am very excited to be able to get into this and, uh, and to dig in and to understand uh, what the meaning and what on earth is happening at Pentecost. Uh, so we will be in Acts chapter 2 this morning. Uh, we're just going to dive right in, and we're going to read our passage together. So please, if you will open your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Verse 1 says, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now... There were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our native language? Parthians, the Medes, Elamites, the residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, I promised I practiced all these, <laughs> and Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya, near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does it mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said that they have had too much wine. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, again, thank you for this morning. We just pray for your blessing on our time together as we open your word and we seek to understand who we are in Christ, how we have been empowered, what you call your church to be in this world. And Father, I pray that we would simply live and desire to live an empowered life through the Holy Spirit. We love you and we pray for your blessing on our time together again in Jesus' powerful name. Amen. Okay, so before we get into some backgrounds, what I want to give us all is just this purview that we're going to view this morning from. And what I want all of us to take away is simply that the Holy Spirit is transforming the world through human vessels, and he will always 
be with us. The Holy Spirit is transforming the world through human vessels, and he will always be with us. See, when we get to Pentecost, prior to this, uh, as we remember from chapter 1, the disciples, they're with Jesus. Uh, Jesus says, I will send my spirits. I will empower you. Wait for me. He is exalted. They see their king. And and now the disciples, they, they are just waiting. They're waiting on the Spirit. They're waiting on this thing to come, this almost initiation of this new age. They're told, wait on my Spirit. So as you can imagine, you know, the disciples, they're hanging out, and they're like, okay, I mean, we kind of know what this means. We kind of don't know what this means, but we're waiting. We're waiting on God to do something. And so we get to Pentecost. Now, Pentecost, just to give a little bit of background for our passage, um, so for one, it says that they were gathered, so all the disciples, they were gathered together, and they're during this time of Pentecost. In Pentecost, it's an ancient Jewish festival in which Jews from all over the world come and they gather together. So Pentecost, it means 50, and so uh, this festival, it came seven weeks or 50 days after Passover. And so the Lord, he commanded the Jews that they would observe it and they would give thanks for the first fruits of their harvest and the harvest to come. So this Pentecost festival was a regular thing that occurred after the Passover. And so it was not unusual that all the disciples would have been gathering together, that Jews from all over the world were coming in, and this is exactly what happened. You had Jews from all over the world gathered in one single place. Now, we will get to this later, but what is very important to remember is that the Jews were scattered. Throughout the Old Testament, we see in the beginning part of it, in what's called the Pentateuch, or it's the first five books of the Bible, we see God moving his chosen people as a unit, but then we get past that and we begin to hit um, historical letters and we get to uh, just different prophets, and what happens is that as Israel breaks their covenant with God, We're told that God says, I will scatter you. I will allow you to be taken into exile. And so what happens as time goes on is that the nation of Israel is scattered throughout the world. And while they still may hold to their Jewish faith, they're now also put into different cultures and they're around different languages. And so they're learning different languages and different cultures. And they're they're living as Jewish people all around the world. It is a scattered nation. And so during this time of Pentecost, it's when they all, just like Passover, the Jewish nation from all over the world comes together. But at this point, they're coming in with different languages. There were a host of languages and different people groups represented. As it says even in our text, now there's converts to Judaism. So what we need to understand, and this is where this passage gets a little bit um, misconstrued, This is not the baptism of the Holy Spirit. This is not arguing for us to to practice speaking in tongues. This is so much bigger. This is a monumental shift in how God works and transforms the world. Monumental shift. And that is what we need to leave here today understanding. 
oftentimes this passage gets reduced to we need to speak in tongues together each week at church. Or um, if you don't have this, if you don't experience this gift, um, are you really saved? Have you been baptized by the Spirit? And all these, all these misunderstandings of this passage and, and the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples, it's, it's taken out of context. And, and so if you've heard one of those perspectives before, I, I, I want to just encourage you to, to open your mind and we're going to hopefully shift that and see how much more incredible and how much more beautiful this event at Pentecost is. So that's a little bit of background, okay? So we have the filling, ultimately, this is the filling of the Holy Spirit in the lives of believers. And this is what the rest of the biblical narrative would affirm happens for those who place their faith in Jesus. That upon declaring Jesus as your Lord and Savior, we are filled with the Spirit. We're filled with the Spirit. So let's look at our text and begin to break this, uh, break this down a little bit more. So again, I said the Holy Spirit, he is transforming the world through human vessels and he will always be with us. However... Even though God has always used people, having a human vessel is something new. So we're going to just take a brief look at the Old Testament. Um, what we need to understand is this first part, and this is verse, look with me here, at verse 3. It says, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. Now, this sounds a little crazy, Unless you understand why fire is being used. And like many uh, good results, and when we go on a hunt for answers in the Bible, the Old Testament has those answers. So all throughout the Old Testament, God's presence is consistently marked by fire. Consistently. For example, even in Genesis chapter 3, Adam and Eve, they're, they're kicked out of the garden. They have fallen. They are separated from God. And what happens? There's two cherubim that are guarding the garden. And what are they holding? Flaming swords. Flaming swords. We look on. We see Exodus 3. We have, we have the burning bush and we have Moses. God's presence appearing as a fire. In Exodus 13, there's a pillar of fire that leads the Hebrews. In Isaiah 4, there, there's a fire over Mount Zion. In Daniel 7, God's throne, it is, it is ablaze in flames. Exodus 19, Mount Sinai, it's ablaze in smoke and fire. Consistently, if you want to know where God's presence is, you look for fire. And this isn't just like a little spark, this is like, Towering billows, a column, tornado, whatever you want to call it, burning bush, it is fire. It is powerful, it is holy, it is God. And throughout the Old Testament, especially in, in the beginning books of the Bible, what we see is we see God's presence with the Hebrews. We see God leading them. We see God, when the, when the tabernacle is built, uh, we see God's presence filling the tabernacle. All of these things are always marked by fire. However, what's really interesting is even though that, that God, is, his presence is around his people, he's leading his people, 
Throughout the Old Testament, there, there's all these different instances in which God's Spirit, uh, it, it, he uses his Spirit to, to uh, reveal things such as to the prophets. The Holy Spirit has always been at work. We know this from Genesis 1 when it says the Spirit of God is hovering over, hovering over the waters, waiting to take part in creation. And so when we, see, when we see the Holy Spirit, it's nothing new for God's presence to be at work. There's nothing new about God using people and his presence being near. However, there's a big difference. When we, when we address the Old Testament presence of God, it's as if he's next to us or around us. See, right now, we're in this room, and we're all together. We're near each other. Right? I, can, I can see, and I know that your presence is here. If you were to speak to me, I can watch you guys react. I know that you are present. And the same, you're hearing me speak. You know that my presence is here. I actually don't know how well this is going to work. Well, we're about to test the signal on this. However, if I leave the room and I stop talking... Now I just make you all wait. <laughs> if I leave the room and I stop talking, now my presence is gone. And we see throughout the Old Testament that God's presence will appear and then it will go away. It will appear and it will go away and God will come in and he will do and work about his purposes and he will dwell in, uh, around and near the lives of his people and those he is using. But this presence can and does go away. It's present, and then he's not. And so what we need to understand is this dramatic shift, and this is one of the coolest things I personally think in all of Scripture, and that's when we get to Pentecost. Because now we've seen God marked by fire, his presence is marked by fire, and then we get to Acts chapter 2, and it says these tongues of fire come and rest upon the disciples. What we learn from this is that no longer is God's presence something that is outward? It's, is it separated? It, God's presence isn't something that's just going to come about and then go away? No. Now, God's presence comes and permanently resides in the lives of those who have put their faith in Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes and indwells those who put their faith in him. This is monumental because now no longer do we need to go to a temple, do we need to build a temple, but now if you have put your faith in Jesus, you are the temple. You are the temple of God. This is one of the, I just, it blows, it actually blows my mind that for thousands of years, People would gather and they would build temples and they would worship God and his presence would come upon these temples and they could experience the presence of God and very near. They could understand and learn from him. But now, from that day of Pentecost on forward, anybody who puts their faith in Jesus, now that presence, that great and glorious, powerful and terrifying, holy presence of God dwells in you forever. We become the temple of God. And so what is so 
powerful about this. Think of a church building. We all did it this morning. We all came to this building. But what's amazing is that the church, the temple of God, is no longer limited to just a singular building. Now when we leave here, you know what's happening? The temple's moving. The temple is moving, and it's going in every direction you can imagine it to go. It's going up to Clark's. It's, it's going to Taylor. For those of you that drive like 30, 45 minutes to get here, it's going out. The temple of God is moving. And, and with this, we have this deep understanding that now God doesn't need to, to, to show up in order, to, uh, in order for people to learn who he is. You just need to show up. See, now what happens is when people look at the church and when people meet believers and when they engage with you and when they learn that you follow Jesus and when they learn what it means to follow Jesus, they are experiencing the presence of God because the Holy Spirit indwells you and is using you and empowering you to reach the world for his sake. The temple is now mobile, even far more mobile than the, uh, than the tabernacle was. The church, the church is now the moving temple of God. We are a mobile place of worship. And what's so amazing is that we, we are scattered every day. We're scattered every day. And so now, God, through believers, is reaching your homes, your neighborhoods, your workplaces, your communities. It is one of the most beautiful things I think in all of scripture, to see how the church is initiated and sent out. Next, look with me at verse four. As we're mobile temples, the, they saw, verse three again, it says, it seems tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on them for, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So point two is that we have the church is empowered by the Holy Spirit. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is not my power. This is not your power. Our source of power consistently and always comes from the Holy Spirit. Pastor Dennis last week gave an excellent understanding of who the Holy Spirit is, how he works, and how he uses us for the benefit of the kingdom. And our power, our source of life comes from the Holy Spirit always. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you are always empowered by the Spirit. There's a power within us to go into the world now for the sake of the kingdom. I, I noted earlier that, that Pentecost is not limited to having spiritual experiences. Pentecost is about God permanently empowering his church. Again, Pentecost is about God permanently empowering his church. His Holy Spirit will not go away. I love Ephesians chapter one. Please look with me on the screen. Ephesians one. Excuse me, I have a different version. It says, in him when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of salvation, and in him when you also believed, you were sealed. You were sealed 
with the Holy Spirit. This is also one of the most crucial verses you could use for the argument uh, uh, of um, never losing your salvation. Because when we put our faith in Jesus, we are sealed with the Spirit. And he will never leave the lives of those who put their faith in Jesus. Ever. Which means you are empowered permanently. This is monumental shift in our understanding because now the purpose of my life, it's fueled by God. It's actually fueled by God. This, this is why we, tell, we, we always say, and even to myself, I say, I, I need to get in the word. I need, to, I need to spend time in prayer. I need to worship. I need to gather with fellow believers. And all of this never actually has to be on my own strength because the power of God himself dwells within me. And he's building me up and he's strengthening me. He's transforming me and conforming me every single day for the sake of his purposes. And when he works, we move. And we have the confidence that we are permanently empowered by him. And I love it. It it says, uh, look again, it says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit, what? Enabled, enabled them. See, here's the thing about our God is that he enables us to do things for his glory and for his kingdom. He enables us. He actually transforms us. He makes us new. There is a power that rests in the hearts and the lives of believers that actually daily transforms you. There's no such thing as being a stagnant Christian because you're not actually able to be stagnant if the power of the Holy Spirit resides in you because he is always working on us. Now, we can't ignore that, and that's a different sermon for a different day when we ignore the Spirit of God at work in our lives. But the Spirit of God dwells in those who know him. And as we know him, he uses us and he empowers us And as Galatians says, as we press into our God, as we abide, then fruit becomes present in our life. The marker and the evidence of that sealing of the Spirit. He enables us to minister solely for His glory in the world. We gain, with the enabling of the Spirit, we gain three very important things that we get the power to serve as as people of God's kingdom. I love what Paul says he, in Philippians. He says that I am not a citizen of, of this world. I am a, a citizen of heaven. Our citizenship, our primary identity once we put our faith in Jesus is that now you are God's person. And you are forever that person. You are his. So the spirit and it empowers us to serve as his people. The, the Spirit, it gives us the ability to reach people for the, for the sake of the gospel. We're called to go out into the world and to make disciples. Just last week, it was, this was amazing. Uh, so last week, uh, we, were, we were shot. <laughs> we were very tired. Um, it had been a long week prior before, just a lot of great things going on, but, but Dennis and myself, we were talking before service, and we were like, oh my gosh, 
I could just take a nap right here. Like, we, we were absolutely done. Our energy was wiped. Our willpower was negative. And we were, we were shot. And so we went to the Lord in prayer, and we were like, God, look, we're talking about your Holy Spirit this morning. We could use energy. We can use his empowerment. We could use his uh, just ability to lift us up and use us. And you know what happened? We, we worshiped and we gathered together as a church. And I've honestly never felt more energy on a Sunday than last week when I should have been falling asleep. It was incredible to pray, God, empower me. And he did. And he did gives us the ability to reach others effectively. When you pray, God, give me the strength, it will give you the strength. And thirdly, he calls us to transform the world around us. But as the church, one of the greatest truths for us to rest on always is that, as I said, the Spirit is always with us. And where we go, God goes. And he is empowering you every single step of the way. Thirdly, and this is just a side note, but the church, it reflects the eternal kingdom of God. We're going to see this in, in, these, in the back half of these verses, but what's so incredible uh, about the empowering of the Holy Spirit is that not only are we empowered, but we're also unified by the Spirit. And, and the, church, the church's mission and identity is to reflect and to grow the kingdom of God until the day that Jesus returns. We, we are imaging what will be the future glory of God and his kingdom in heaven forever. And it is growing each and every day. And as we go out and as we make disciples and as we preach the gospel and as we minister to each other and others, and as this kingdom grows, we are actually reflecting the kingdom of God. Because here's the thing, the Holy Spirit, as I said, empowers us eternally. He was there when things were made and he will be there forever as our God reigns. We will forever be fueled by the Holy Spirit. Forever fueled by him. And so now as believers and as we're empowered by him, what we're doing is we're reflecting the kingdom. We're reflecting what a spirit-fueled people looks like. Until Jesus returns, the church's mission is to reflect the kingdom of God as mobile temples throughout the world. And these temples, temples in the Old Testament were a place where people could meet God. And now, as a mobile temple, you are the place where people can meet God. And as we are unified in faith, we are sealed together in the Spirit, we are also unified in mission to bring that God, to bring the one who saved us to the world around us. And as we impact our communities and as we grow as a community of believers, we're being transformed by the Spirit, which actually in turn transforms the world around us, which as I said, the Holy Spirit, he is transforming the world around us through human vessels for the sake of God. See, as we're transformed and change comes to my life, the hope is that change comes to lives around you and that goes and it goes and as we're scattered into our communities and to our daily lives, the world slowly but surely reorients and it changes and as more people come to know Jesus, it looks more and more 
like the kingdom. There will be a day that every single person of every nation will bow before the feet of Jesus. And until then, we go to every nation, we go to every person to share the gospel to which the Holy Spirit empowers them also to share and continue to spread the kingdom. So let's look at this last part. Verse 5 through 13, we hit this point where, where now suddenly all these people of different languages, they're hearing the disciples, right? They hear this crazy winds, this loud sound, and they gather and they're like, what just happened? We're trying to have a festival. These crazy disciple dudes, they're making loud noises. What is happening? And so they gather around the disciples, and what has happened? Well, the Spirit now rests and resides in the, in the lives of those who put their faith in him and has gifted them the ability to speak in other languages. Why? Because God is reorienting and he is reuniting the world under his name and under his banner so that as we're reoriented, we're reunited, we can be scattered back out. The Holy Spirit initiates a different kind of scattering in the world. As I mentioned earlier, Deuteronomy 4, it says that, that God will scatter the people of Israel. Now, there were 12 tribes of Israel, and as I mentioned, that as they broke their covenant with God, they were allowed to be taken into exile, to which uh, some people would come back to uh, Israel, but there were many generations following who would stay in these new countries to which they were exiled. So as time went on and as the tribes were scattered, they learned new languages and new cultures, and, and they took on somewhat uh, new identities from different ethnic groups. It says that they will be exiled and sent out and broken off into new communities. And it would seem that they would never be united again. But what is interesting, and as I, I, said, I said this at the beginning, that Pentecost, as a Jewish festival, it's when, it's when all the Jews and God-fearing Jews would come together to celebrate this festival. So you brought together all these different tribes and these countries and these tongues. As it says here in our text, everywhere, all over the world, these people would come together to take part in this festival. And so what happens? The disciples begin to speak in each language. They begin to speak in each language. I'm going to pause there. We're going to come right back to that. A second thing. In Genesis chapter 11, we have the Tower of Babel. And the Tower of Babel, it was this giant monument built it was everything that a person could celebrate for human pride. Humans built this glorious structure, building these beautiful cities, saying, look, look what we've done for ourselves. We are going to make a name for ourselves. So what God does is he takes them, he takes this unified group of humans, he disorients it, he says he confuses their tongue so they all learn, suddenly they're all speaking different languages. How wild and terrible would that be if suddenly all of us in this room were suddenly grouped off into twos or threes and we couldn't understand anyone except for maybe another or a couple other people? We would freak out. And what would happen? Well, we would go out and we would begin to form communities with only the people that we can understand. 
So what happens at the Tower of Babel? Again, there's this scattering. But both for Israel and both for the Tower of Babel, both these times of scattering are consequential. It's because of human pride and the breaking of God's covenant that people are confused and scattered. Now, what God is doing, he is still scattering because the best way to reach a world full of people is to send the people out. But first, we have to be a different people, a people not under consequence, but rather a people empowered and sent. And so from the disciples reaching the Jews, we have all of these people now hearing the gospel, hearing Jesus proclaimed, the risen Messiah, now exalted as king, the one whom Israel has been waiting for. He is alive and he is on the throne and he is their God and their Lord and their Messiah. We have the 12 tribes almost brought together and unified again to be sent out. And we have a reversal of Babylon. People sent out in consequence are now sent out on mission to spread the gospel in every tongue to all peoples of the earth. How God uses the disciples in this moment to reach so many from all over the world is one of the most powerful movements of the Holy Spirit in all of Scripture. And most importantly, again, we learn, we learn that the Holy Spirit enables and empowers and indwells those who put their faith in Jesus. The church is a unified body of believers on mission to proclaim the risen Christ in the world and we're sent out not consequently, but now as a duty to spread Christ's church. So why did all of this happen? Again, simply, so that we can go into the world and make disciples. The Holy Spirit dwells in you if you have trusted Jesus as your Savior. And with that Holy Spirit, he calls us to reach our communities for his sake. God enables you through all things in life. I love reading the letters of Paul in the New Testament. He, he talks so often about his sufferings, but how he still finds content and joy in life. Why? Because God himself is empowering him. And giving him the strength he needs to continue to minister for the sake of the kingdom. Through times of joy, through times of suffering, we lean on the Holy Spirit for strength, for clarity, to understand the will of God. If you want to know what God wants to do for your life, ask him. Seek him out. He is with you always. And I, myself, know how easy it is to forget that God is actually with me at all points, wherever I go. That I don't need to go to a building or, or have sped up, set up some spiritual time in order to encounter him, but rather I can encounter and, and connect with my God at any point. Because God's purpose at Pentecost, it was to equip his church with the mighty power of the Holy Spirit so that we would be his witnesses to all the nations resulting in his eternal glory. 
The point of, of giving us the Holy Spirit is not to make you feel like a super spiritual person. No, it is to enable you to minister effectively with the full power of God dwelling within you. So that when we encounter a dark and a broken world, this power, like a light switch, it lights us up and we shine brightly for his name. And this is the end result. This is the mission of the church. Until Jesus recomes to be a light for Christ and his kingdom, shining like a light in the darkness, empowered by him, the Holy Spirit. I want to do something. This is one of those analogies that you just can't, you can think it through, but you just kind of have to do it. So I don't know how well this is going to work. But I just want us to have a visual, really, of what this looks like. Because it's really hard when we're all gathered together on a Sunday, we're all in the same room, facing the same direction. It's really hard for us to, to get a glimpse of what this looks like. So I need, I need like three people to just come on up. Yeah. I'll start picking. This is what I, this is what I do in youth group. I'll just start, you just stare and you're like, yeah, all right, here we go. Great, I got four, perfect. Okay, here's what I want to do. Because the mission of the church is to be a light for the kingdom of Christ in the world, we are supposed to spread this light all around. So what I'm going to do you know what, let's use, let's use two more people because I'm going to light these all and, yeah. Light them up. <laughs> okay, good, good. Joel. Come on up, come on up. Okay. So here's what I want. Take two, take two. Great. This is great. Okay, here's what I want to do. This is, this is visualizing on the spot at its finest. I'm going to light all these candles. And this is like this moment at Pentecost, when, when the disciples, they, the Spirit comes and he, and he indwells in them, and, and they're called to go out, and we as the church are called to go out. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to light each of these, and I want you to go find a group of people, and I want you to give them, give one person a candle. And whoever gets that candle, I want you to go find then another group of people and gather with them. And just go move around the church uh, somewhere. I don't care where, just not on stage. And what's so incredible about the church being on mission for the sake of the kingdom, empowered by the Holy Spirit, this is like the Holy Spirit. And as believers go out empowered as a light for his kingdom, what we see is a rapid spread of not only the gospel, but the kingdom itself growing. And if, if you get these candles, stand together. Just stand together in little groups. I just want to see, yeah, just stand together where these are. See, what happens is, is people go into their communities and they preach the gospel. And we have all these groups that begin to form. And from these groups, more candles go out. Yeah. And if you look around 
and we imagine that, the, that this is the world, as people spread the gospel, this light continues to follow them and it spreads around. As people come to faith, what we see is we see the, the lights and we see the power of the Holy Spirit spread. And if you guys look around, imagining we have people from all over the world. <laughs> we see a picture of the church. We see the Holy Spirit everywhere, resting and dwelling on the lives of believers. All right, this was great. You can blow out your candles and return to your seats. I <laughs> if I had it my way, I, had like, I wanted to do like 100 candles, but we only use those at Christmas. <laughs> So as we close, as we close, thank you all. Pente Pentecost is, is a monumental point in history. It's a monumental point in history in which God changes how he works and how he reaches the world. He does it through the lives of his people. So just some things to consider as we close. First off, do you live life every day leaning on the power of the Holy Spirit? If you have put your faith in Jesus, as I have said, the Spirit of God dwells within you. Does he empower you? Do you rest in him and seek to know him? How can I reach my community to passionately preach the gospel? How can I reach my community? I'm fueled by the Holy Spirit. We need to ask ourselves, do I live for myself, seeking to rely on my own power and my own will, like they did at the Tower of Babel? And fourthly, do I live each day to glorify God? The Holy Spirit, he is transforming the world through the lives of believers, and we have been called and empowered to spread the greatest kingdom ever enacted in the world. Do you live each day as a temple for the Lord, worshiping him and proclaiming his name? Our great mission is to go into the world to make disciples. And what we learn from Pentecost is that our great joy is knowing that God is always with us. We're an empowered church. We're a scattered church. We're a church shining for his great name. Band, come on up and let's go to the Lord in prayer as we move into a time of communion. God, we thank you again for just this time that we can study your word. Father, how you use us and you send us for your name and for your sake. God, I pray that we would live as empowered people, seeking to glorify you every single day. God, may, may we be a people who, who find our strength from your spirit from the study of your word. God, we love you and we just pray that we would just every single day be on mission to be a light for you, for your name, and for all that you wish to do in this world. Thank you so much for your word and for the gift of your son, Jesus. We pray this in his holy name. Amen.